702. The Naked Scientist. Time for the Naked Scientist with Dr. Chris Smith. Happy Monday, Doctor. Happy How are you Monday. Doing? I'm very good. How are you? I am fantastic and excited. I see the questions are coming in thick and fast already. So let's jump straight into them. I'm going to do my best to read this one. Hi, Dr. Chris Smith. Why birds and chickens tuck one leg inside while resting? This is from Nelson. Oh, hi, Nelson. I know what he means. When you see birds standing up in water or they're standing on ice, they may well put one foot on the ice to stand up, obviously, and the other one withdrawn up inside their feathers. And the answer is that that's a big surface area for a bird and it can lose heat through its foot. And birds are warm-blooded, so they have to look after how much energy they're burning in order to maintain a steady body temperature. So Mm. one of the reasons they would withdraw a leg and stand on just one leg is that then they can keep the other one tucked up inside their feathers and they don't have to pump warm blood into a cold leg and lose heat. Okay, thank you so much, Nelson, for that question. We've got a voice note. A question to the naked scientist. I noticed uh, on the weekend some township people were able to overpower a whole elephant, and I assume that they made soup out of it. They they ate it. Um, I just want to know what can be eaten by human beings and what cannot. And in this instance... What effects could um, eating an elephant have on a human um, anatomy? Mm, thank you so much. I, I almost feel like, doctor, the people that decided when they ate it, it just didn't agree with their system. <laughs> like, mm, this is not for us. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, there's a historical aspect to this because, of course, our ancestors, if you go back a few thousand to about 10, 50, 10 to 50,000 years, as people began to cooperate and they weren't farming from farming came in about 10,000 years ago before farming came along we were largely hunter gatherers as a population around the world and that meant that small communities worked together collaboratively to find hunt down track down trap catch kill and therefore butcher and eat game and this would have included anything that was available And because humans spread out across the world, they went to some geographies where where existences were really hard to scratch out there. And some of the creatures they had to contend with were pretty big and fearsome, and they included woolly mammoths. We know that people were eating woolly mammoths because we've got the remains of them, complete with the marks made on the bones that human stone tools would have made. So we were definitely eating close relatives of elephants, mammoths, and therefore people we know could have survived on those perfectly well. They're just meat. That was absolutely fine. Who makes the rules about what we eat? Well, these days, there's a range of different inputs to this. Some of them are legal, and that's based on who owns the livestock or who has rights. If you live in the UK, you can't go and eat a swan because the king owns all the swans. And if it, if you're caught eating a swan, then that's a criminal effect, if, 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 uh, offence. In other countries, certain things are banned on cultural or religious grounds and also conservation grounds. We deter people from tracking, trapping, killing rare species, which we're trying to conserve because that undoes all the good work. So there's a range of different reasons. But as a species, we're pretty good at making a meal of almost anything. And you're quite right. If it tasted good, you can sure as hell bet your bottom dollar people will have eaten it. And I think I'm sitting here wondering what elephant meat tastes like. And I don't want to judge it by the skin, but it just looks tough. 
And well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I've never eaten an elephant, so I couldn't tell you. But it's it's really interesting because I've eaten quite a few things, and and they don't taste the way you would expect. Camel does not taste the way I expected camel to taste. Ostrich didn't taste. I think I expected it to eat to eat a bit like chicken, and it didn't. Yeah, um, and crocodile was actually very agreeable. So kangaroo is lovely, by the way. So if you get the chance to have some kangaroo, it goes fantastically well on the barbecue. Oh my goodness. All right. I guess we're going to get a little bit adventurous, but thank you so much for that question. Hi, Libri. I'd like to ask the naked scientist, if life does flash before your eyes when you die, do people see their loved ones fetching them or is it just hallucination? Thank you. Almost certainly hallucinations. And the, the, the thing is, it's very difficult to do an objective study on this, isn't it? Because if someone's genuinely dying, then it's a once-in-a-lifetime experience and you can't then ask them in the aftermath, well, what was that like? The exception to that is people who have near-death experiences. And people often talk about stereotypical floating down tunnels and bright mm. lights and so on. But we think this is almost certainly a manifestation of a hypoxic or oxygen-deprived brain. As people go into a situation where their hearts stop beating, for example, and blood flow to the nervous system ceases, albeit temporarily, if you're able to bring someone back, then the reason that people probably have these experiences is because when you deprive the brain of blood flow, this includes the retina, you start to drive a state of low oxygen. And if you have low oxygen, nerve cells start to fire off spontaneous activity because they can't control their electrical activity and they start to become mm. more active than they should do. So one explanation for some of the things people experience is, is abnormal electrical activity driven by a brain being starved of oxygen. So that's probably more likely what it is. And that's why people give this quite similar account, having having heard that that's the from other people. That's what other people have described. People may invent some of these things fictitiously, but they may also be describing the genuine sensations of your brain and retina being deprived of oxygen. So can I ask then a question, doctor? Tomorrow we're going to be talking about and asking all the listeners if they think people can tell when they're about to pass away. And many had already responded to our Facebook post sharing stories about, oh, when my grandmother was, you know, two days before she passed away, she was talking about seeing her grandmother being in the room with her. Do you think that also sort of speaks to what you were saying? Because from many people's experiences, the people who are about to pass away share things with them like they can see their loved ones or it's time. They start telling you that they're, they're on their way out. In a moment, I'll tell you, a really weird story that I cannot explain and it happened to me. But before I come to that, the view of someone dying is someone just suddenly rolls over and, and ends their life and that's that. And mm. and some people do die that way if they have sudden cardiac death, for example, or a stroke, mm. which is enough to carry someone off very promptly, very rapidly and painlessly. But most people who get to the end of their life with chronic disease and are elderly don't just suddenly die one day. Some do, some fall asleep in their armchair, but many have a dying process that goes on over a period of time. And experienced mm. palliative healthcare professionals recognise these signs and symptoms of a person whose body is slowly shutting down. And basically all the different organ systems stop supporting your body as well as they should. And so your, mm. your bug chemistry goes off and therefore your body is not operating very efficiently. So your heart's not pumping very efficiently. Your tissue's not being perfused very efficiently and everything begins to slow down and shut down. 
And so people have moments of lucidity, but they just drift off. And you can spot these signs. And in medicine, we often recognise people who are at the end of their life. And we're able to have the sorts of conversations with them because they also know that. And they're, they're tuned into the fact that they, they know that, that they feel that time is mm. up for them. Now, the weird thing that happened to me, which it could be just coincidence... When I was first a doctor, I was doing one of my first jobs as a surgeon. And I went on a ward round one morning and I went to see this elderly lady who'd been admitted to my ward. And we mm. came to see her and she said, I had a terrible night. And I said, oh, what what happened? And I can't remember why the lady was in hospital. She'd been brought in maybe a fall or something. But she, she said, mm. all this crashing and banging noise, people running around, all these lights and then, you know, being, pulling curtains around. And she said, it was real commotion. It was absolutely dreadful. And and I turned to the, the sister on the ward and I said, um, what went on and and she shook her head mm. in this kind of no nothing nothing she's just she's just sort of saying this nothing it was always a quiet mm. night she said and we said to this lady well they're there sorry about that and um we'll, we'll try and get you home today and we finished the ward round and went back to make a cup of tea and while i was making the cup of tea i had the kettle in one hand and my bleep went off and i look mm. at my bleep i ring the number back straight away because it was the ward and they said this old lady has had a cardiac arrest and you need to come. Mm. And we go to the ward and the scene that she had described was unfolding in front of our eyes. And this is probably coincidence because it's a great story in the telling. But it was just so uncanny that this elderly lady said all these things, described all these things. And then within half an hour, that's what was happening. And and I'm sure it is just coincidence, but it was we were totally gobsmacked at, at that point. Myself and the senior doctor who was on duty with, we just looked at each other and thought, I can't believe this. Did she make it that day? No. I'm having such goosebumps. Mm. I know I did. You're... We did. We both did. <laughs> we sat there thinking, <laughs> I cannot believe what has just unfolded. But it might be one of those things. Wow. All right. Ooh, we've got Hank in Merton. Hank, go ahead. Yes, hello, doctor. Okay, I just want to find out if you uh, connect electric appliances on a three-point plug. Does it matter which side you put the neutral or the light? Because I know the light, the neutral must go on the left-hand side and the positive on the right-hand side. But if you connect, if you got a two-point plug, you can put it anywhere. Well, the bottom line here is that with AC, alternating electricity, alternating current, then you have a, a live line and a neutral line. Now, the reason we worry about the neutral line in your plug socket is because in most systems, this is actually effectively clamped to earth. So the the positive line is, is effectively talking to a neutral line through a device which is stapled to earth, i.e. zero. There shouldn't be a voltage in the neutral line. It can, it can have a bit of a floating voltage, but it should be at, at zero. Now, the device, on the other hand, being supplied doesn't care whether it's uh, one way around or the other, if it's on an alternating current supply, because the current is flowing in one direction and then the other direction alternately. That's why it's called alternating current. So it's seeing a positive and then a negative, a positive and then a negative floating around zero. So it doesn't actually matter which way the device is connected up, but it does matter in terms of what you do with your plug socket because the neutral line is effectively at zero earth. And some housing circuits will actually look for a correct voltage on the neutral of being zero. And if there's a departure from that, then it, it knows that current's flowing away and being lost somewhere. And so it can trip the box. But no, most devices 
because they're running on alternating current, expect the current to be changing polarity 50 hertz, 50 times a second. And therefore, they don't care which way round they're wired, if it's a motor or something. What comes downstream of one of those devices, though, might matter, because once you convert AC alternating current to DC, then polarity is very important. And so if you put it through a transformer and then you rectify the output from the transformer to turn it into direct current, then you have to be cautious about which way around you've connected things. But the wall supply, no, it shouldn't matter. Thank you so much, Hank, for that question. Here's a voice note. Hello, Kolebuchila and the Naked Scientist. Is water, this might sound dumb, but is water and urine has a connection? The reason why I'm asking this is that when you have an urge to go, you know, to the restroom and you keep on procrastinating, but then as soon as you touch water, that urge <laughs> worsens. Why is that? Why? She said, I'm trying to understand that. Thank you. Thank you so much. And one more voice note, we go then uh, to Dr. Chris. Hey, hello, Kiklebochile. It's Ishmael here. Well, for interest's sake, I do have elephant meat currently in my ah. fridge. Uh-uh. Yeah, the meat tastes nice. Like, it's more like beef, but does not have that beef smell, but it does taste nice. And yeah, in terms of cooking, uh, the first time I cooked it, uh, I cooked it the whole night using a pressure cooker. So it's a bit tough, but you know, it tastes nice. Yeah. Uh, just that, yeah, it's, it's a challenge to get it, but if you like it anytime soon again, definitely. I want his steak to bite. Oh, my goodness. Doctor. He must have a very big fridge, mustn't he, to put a whole (laughs) elephant in it. That's a chest freezer and a half. All right. So the first, the the question in the first voice note was, what is that correlation if you, because I know it's not, it doesn't just apply to touching water when you hear your water. No, hearing it too. Want to go to the bathroom. Yeah. Well, the way the nervous system works is that it's all about pattern recognition and one thing facilitating another. And when we go for a wee, you hear a tinkling noise of water running. And so this is your your brain recognises that pattern of running water and often associates that with going to the loo. So unsurprisingly, when you are hearing noises of water, feeling water, touching water, etc., this also is something you do in anticipation of or after going to the loo. So it puts you into the mindset state of I'm going to go to the loo. Now, when you're going to the loo, what happens? Well, an automatic part of your nervous system, the autonomic nervous system, readies your bladder to empty itself. So what it does is it opens up the sphincter, which is the valve that keeps the water in so that things can flow out, and it triggers the muscle, which is the bladder wall, to begin to contract the detrusor muscle. And this puts the pressure up inside the bladder and pushes the liquid out. Now, all of these things take a little bit of time. And because it's not under conscious control, you can consciously stop and start weeing. But most of the time, you don't have to think about it because it's under unconscious control. Because you have that part of your nervous system that's automatic, it gets facilitated by these other experiences, the messages I'm now going to get ready to go to the loo and that's why it builds up and you think oh i'm busting to go now i'm ready to go but prior to that you were able to hold it thank you so much for that question we go to the lines uh we have thomas in tembisa thomas go ahead 
Okay, okay. So maybe it's a problem with my, my, my phone. Yes, I'm saying that uh, I'm someone who usually enjoys watching the ISS, the International Space Station. So about on the 15th or the 12th or 15th of December, when it was passing across the skies here in Houdin, it was uh, actually followed by another two objects. So mm. even this year, even this year in, uh, in January, I saw other objects is uh, going parallel to that ISS. Mm. So I don't know what were those, and then I don't know if it's the naked pilot can mm. know about such things at all. Yeah. Okay, right. so did you get that, uh, Doctor? Not really. So the International Space Station, it said when it was passing, there were two other objects that were, you know, traveling parallel to it. Do you know what those other objects are? Well, I, I don't know what the objects were, but what I can say is that one, the ISS, International Space Station, which is up there about 400 kilometers above, and it's doing a lap of the Earth every hour and a half. Every 90 minutes, they get daybreak and sunset on the ISS. Isn't that an amazing day? But it's it's going quick and it's going across the sky a lot. So you've got a good chance of seeing it. But because it's quite close to us, it's actually quite easy to see and quite large and quite bright. And it's got arrays of solar panels. It's powered by light from the sun, which then charges up batteries for when they're around the other side of the earth and it's dark mm. and therefore it reflects a lot of light and what you might have been seeing is different parts of the structure and the panels which are angled to reflect the or to hit the, the, the sun so you may have been seeing simultaneously different parts of the same structure different parts of the the panel array or you may have been seeing a satellite which is also going round roughly across the same patch of Earth but at a different altitude because there are thousands of satellites in orbit now. And if Elon Musk has his way and Jeff Bezos from Amazon, then we could be looking at millions of satellites in orbit before too long. So it's possible that what you were seeing is one, one big object with different bits of it reflecting light, giving the impression of multiple objects at the same altitude, or multiple objects which were going across the same patch of sky. They were going to be doing different speeds because depending upon how high you're orbiting, your speed is different, but they could have sort of crossed across that patch of the sky giving the impression that they were side by side. And in fact, one was higher and one was lower. Thank you so much, Dr. Chris Smith. Back together on Monday. See you next week.